So as John said, we're carrying on with our Journey to the Cross series. And so far we've heard about the prayer of confession, the prayer of thirst and seeking. Um, And if you haven't heard those, that was Richard, Neil and Ron, all brilliant actually. And if you haven't heard them because you weren't here, do listen to them on the church website. No pressure on me at all either, hey. But um, we are talking today about prayer of rest. So I'd like to see this morning, show of hands, who would describe themselves as they're in a place of rest. So you're not stressed out, you're not run ragged, you're not here worrying about anything. You are good. There are some hands in the room. That is great. Fantastic. Brilliant. I have to say, coming to church for many is not very restful, is it? Depends what, yeah, I can see you on the front row with a new baby. It depends what season you're in, doesn't it? Remember when I used to go to church with five, sorry, not five, three boys under five. Gosh, it was stressful, you know? One needs breastfeeding, the other one is hurtling, running for the stage, about to unplug the whole PA system, and the other one's going to take out some unsuspecting worshipper with a flag. I mean, it's just so stressful. And it really does depend where you're at, doesn't it, whether it's stressful. And then, the, and then the, for me as well, it was just, I'd be sitting here listening to the preach, and I'd be just praying the number wouldn't come up. And then when the number comes up, it's like a Mexican standoff with your partner, isn't it? Come on, it's your turn. No, it's your turn. No, I was up at three. No, you were... Yes, it's hard sometimes. It's not restful. So when I said to people who know me, uh, and they said, what are you talking about? Well, I'm going to talk about rest. Some of them actually laughed out loud. <laughs> when do you get rest, Sally? For those of you who don't understand why that might be funny, I'll explain why. So first of all, I, I'm a widow now. I've got three gorgeous boys, as I have explained. They're sort of between the age of eight and 13. So for now, for me, the issue is getting them out of bed and out the door for church as opposed to running around and the other issues. Um, But also, uh, something I want to share with you this morning that God said to me about that, which was amazing, and I'm sharing it with you because it's Mother's Day next Sunday, isn't it? And I used to sort of say, and God challenged me on this, I'm a widow, therefore I'm a single mum. And one morning, I was at church, and I was worshipping, and I was singing, we were singing the chorus... It's no longer I, but it's Christ who lives in me. And right there, the Holy Spirit absolutely challenged me and said, Sally, it's no longer I, but it's Christ who lives in me. I am in you, so you're not doing this alone. You are not, you are not doing this by yourself, and actually, you are co-parenting those boys with me. That's exactly what he said to me. How powerful is that? How amazing is that? Um, I had to change my mindset and my confession. And I wanted to share that today because anyone who is in that situation as well, may that be your mindset. And that's for dads as well. And there might be two parents, but you might be divorced and you feel really alone in it. Or you might be a a single person parenting. You might not be the parent, you might be the grandparent or whatever. Anyway, it's a word that I felt I should share this morning. It brings me rest. So, um, so when I talk and discuss life now, I sort of change my, my confession 
And my life is busy, though. Obviously, I am co-parenting with Jesus, which sounds so super spiritual and weird, doesn't it? But it is still really busy, because the physical stuff I'm doing, I'm doing the taxiing, the meals, the domestic stuff, the washing, the cleaning, the picking up of shoes, blah, blah. It's a long, long list. Homework, refereeing, screen time monitoring. It goes on and on. Also, I have a job. I work for the BBC four days a week. Um, I always mention this. I present an early morning news programme. It's always about boosting my ratings. On air, on air at 5am. But, of course, you should be resting, shouldn't you? So don't get up, especially. But I get up at 1.50am. That will be my alarm call tomorrow morning. I leave the house at half two. On my way to work, I am speed reading about everything that's been happening in the world since I last checked. And usually there's a lot. Um, it's a busy time. I'm at work by 3 o'clock. Uh, I'm in the newsroom and I'm pretty much up to speed with everything. But then they're briefing me on my one-hour live program. So there's a lot of interviews in there. And I do really wish sometimes that we could just sedate Donald Trump for 48 hours. <laughs> It wouldn't do him any harm whatsoever. And of course, I'm joking, don't put that in the Daily Mail. But it would make my life less manic. Four o'clock, makeup department, which actually I call sometimes prosthetics department, depending on cold sores, styes, whatever's going on, spots. It's a challenge. And then five to five in the studio, one hour of live television, which I present myself. And lots of interviews, and sometimes it's very unexpected stories. And some of them are quite grim, like what happened in New Zealand recently. So it's a busy old time, and then there's three more live programs that I present after that. And I leave the BBC about 10 a.m., usually, unless I have meetings, home by 11 walk the dog, which is my prayer and praise sort of walk, which I need. The dog needs it as well. We love that. Then I have a power nap, one hour, no more, sometimes less. And then between that power nap and picking up the children from school, it's really busy. I might be preparing for a preach on a Sunday morning. I might be doing a, a supermarket shop or getting my hair cut or seeing the dentist or having coffee with a friend. It's, it's really busy. And then when I pick up the children, of course, anyone who's a parent knows what goes on then. It's a really hectic time. And I should, in theory, be in bed by 8.30 p.m. So that's why people who know me say... Sally, can you preach on rest? Yes, I can. I can and I will. So, <clears throat> there isn't much room in there. And of course, with work at the moment, with Brexit, it's been absolutely relentless, I have to say. But just throw into that as well, a very sick and unwell husband. And I cared for him. I was the main carer. And what that brings as well, anyone who's dealing with illness or cancer or anything like that. It doesn't care for your plans. And when you have to rush to A&E, you have to rush to A&E. Hospital appointments come at times that are totally inconvenient. And sometimes the place you need to go is a very long way away. So how do you do it? That's what I'm asked all the time. How do you do it? And that is just me, isn't it? What about you? How busy is your life? How much are you cramming in? Is your life just a little bit too full? You might have very difficult stuff going on, big challenges. You might also be dealing with big pressure at work, at home, the challenge of ill health. One of the stories I covered recently at work 
was the jump in demand for self-help books in the UK. It's at record levels this year because apparently we as a nation are experiencing a lot of stress. So if you're a publisher, the things you want to publish right now is how to sleep better, how to be fulfilled, how to deal with change, how to have a growth mindset, how to parent effectively. I mean, it just goes on and on, doesn't it? So today we're going to focus on the prayer of rest. I'm going to share with you how I do do it. And if I do write a book about that one day, you don't need to buy it. Because <laughs> you're getting the up sum this morning. So first of all, what do we mean by rest? Well, we don't mean a holiday. I don't mean going out to play golf, time out from kids, putting your feet up, watching the rugby, spa day, although all of that's amazing. Yes, prioritize it. It's really important we do do that and factor that kind of rest in. But the rest we're talking about is what it says when it talks about rest in the Bible. It means, are you in a place of peace? Is your soul at rest? Are you not? Are you in a place where you're not worried by the troubles of this world? Are you not derailed by concern? So let's read Psalm 91. And I've chosen the New Living Translation because I really like this version. It's a very familiar psalm. Many of us know this one really well. So it says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare of the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I am trusting him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from the fatal plague. He will shield you with his wings. He will shelter you with his feathers. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor fear the dangers of the day, nor dread the plague that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you, but you will see it with your eyes. You will see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your dwelling, for he orders his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. You will trample down lions and poisonous snakes. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. They will call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. I will satisfy them with a long life and give them my salvation. It's a psalm that brings a lot of comfort, a lot of hope, a lot of warmth. But it's also a psalm that's a very tough read when your experience doesn't match. This is a psalm that I know pretty much off by heart. I used to speak it over my husband. I used to speak it into his body and into our home, hoping that Paul would live a long life with me on earth, actually, and not go to heaven sooner rather than later. But the cancer, he couldn't fight the battle physically anymore, and he did go to heaven at the age of 45. So how do we deal with this kind of psalm in the light of what we are experiencing? 
And what does it really tell us about rest? It's very triumphant, but also it's troubling. Triumphant in that it guarantees God will guard us. He'll be our guide no matter what's going on in our world. But troubling because we want what's said in that psalm to be literally true for us. We don't want to experience any of that stuff. So let's look at some of the keys in there. If we look at verse 1, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The NIV says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. So lives or dwells, meaning it's your home. It's a place of permanence. It's not somewhere you're going to pop in for a quick visit when you're feeling low. You need a quick fix, answer to prayer, dash in, dash out. This psalm is addressed to those who make the most high, so your God, your Father in heaven, the creator of all things, the mighty, incredible Savior and friend Jesus for us now. The psalm applies for those who live and dwell, take up residence in the shelter, in the presence of the Most High. It's a state of being, being in the intimacy of God's presence, secure communion with him, dwelling or living in the surrender of unceasing worship and prayer. Sounds amazing, doesn't it? And many of you might say, yeah, sounds great, but that's really unattainable in my world and very unrealistic. Well, let's carry on. Verse 2. It tells us about who this psalm applies to. So verse 2 says, This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. So the psalmist is not in the shadow of the Almighty in complete terror and fear, just hoping for the best, eyes closed, fingers crossed, hoping that the terrors of the world will not overcome them. This is someone who knows who God is and therefore knows that it's a God that he can trust and be in a place of rest. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He describes him as the most high in this psalm, the almighty. Nothing is higher in the psalmist's view. Nothing is greater or stronger. The psalmist is focusing on God in his greatness, his strength, the almighty powerful one. So he's not limiting God in his thinking. He really knows who God is in all his magnitude, his awesomeness and power. He says, he alone is my refuge, nothing else. He's confessing and declaring it is all about his God. And I was really challenged on this issue this week as I was preparing. Can I really say, hand on heart, that he alone is my refuge? And I was really challenged because this time last week, I really had very little voice whatsoever. I was really struggling to speak. And I was actually working with uh, the youth at the King's Center last Sunday. And I got hold of Richard Lodge and Heather Saunders to pray for me because um, my voice was going. I was full of cold. And of course, the week that's just gone was really critical of Brexit. It was a big story. And I was likely to be presenting 
from outside the Houses of Parliament again if we had meaningful vote number three. Um, everything was to play for. But also on Wednesday afternoon, I was flying out to Stockholm because Thursday I was chairing and moderating a huge tech conference all day in Stockholm with over a 1,000 delegates. And I'd been booked over a year before to do that. And, you know, the BBC's Sally Bundock is, you know, on all the marketing and all the ticketing and everything else, and people have paid to be there. And, and I was really worried about my, my voice and my health. And actually, I ended up cancelling work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at the BBC, um, which is fine. I'm not indispensable. There's plenty of people who can do what I do. Um, but that was hard for me. And I was just praying and preparing for this conference. And also, I was preaching today three times. So I need my voice. And it really challenged me at that time. Actually, Sally, to what extent do you really trust in God alone? And to what extent do you actually rely on, on what you do? The BBC machine, the job, that all secure license fee that comes in, the income it brings to me and my household, the doors it opens for me, the opportunities it provides for me, the identity it gives to me. I mean, I've been presenting telly for over 20 years. It's part of my DNA now. I was really challenged about that. To what extent do I really trust in God alone? So the psalmist begins with this bold declaration, a confession of faith and trust in God. He then goes on to what we can have confidence in if we do the same. And it's a great list, isn't it? You'll be rescued from every trap, protected from deadly disease. He'll cover you with his feathers and he'll shelter you with his wings. So this metaphor is saying God's protection will be like that of a mother bird who protects her young under her wings. Protection for the eggs, for the baby birds, from the heat of the sun, from the other elements, the wind, the storms, the rain, from predators who come, who want those birds. They're coming to steal, kill, eat, destroy. Instead, the mother bird, she stays right there. She endures it all to protect her young the blistering heat, the elements, the attack. It's a wonderful, beautiful metaphor that gives us a fantastic illustration of how God cares for his own. That's if you're in that place. So let's carry on with this list. Faithful promise is our armor and protection, his faithful promise. It goes on to say, we mustn't be afraid of the terrors of night, the arrow that flies by day, Disease that stalks in darkness, thousands will die around us. The evils will not touch us or conquer us. It will not even come near your home. It's not just you, it's your household. He will order his angels wherever you go. They'll lift you up in their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. In other words, you won't even stub your toe. You will trample lion, cobra, serpents under your feet. What an amazing list. Wouldn't we just love that? As I said before, it's really tough, isn't it, when that list is not what we're experiencing, when that literal list is not what we can say is going on in our world, and we are experiencing scary stuff at night, we are experiencing disease or whatever. We want, though, so badly, don't we, to feel the amazing rescue of the angels lifting us up out of trouble so that we don't even stub our toe 
The reality, though, can often be so very different. So what is the psalm saying then? What is it saying? How should we read this bit? And and what does it tell us about rest? Well, if we look at verses 14 to 16, that gives us a bit of a clue. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. I will satisfy them with a long life and give them my salvation. So it's important to note, it doesn't say, they will call on me and I will keep them from trouble. It says, I will be with them in trouble. So it's telling us, that there will be trouble. And some of the stuff mentioned in the verses above, that could be what it looks like, the arrows that fly by day, etc. But the psalmist is telling us we will find rest in this trouble if we choose, like we've already said, to be in the shadow of the Almighty. Because our choice is to be under the shelter of his wings. Because we've positioned ourselves in a place of complete trust in him alone. Total surrender. That constant communion. Confidence of our deliverance. We make it our home. This is where we dwell. So that's where we will know rest when we are in trouble. So trouble is coming And some of you might already be in the thick of it. And it's all over the Bible as well, isn't it? I mean, if you look at the word of God, I mean, Ron was here last week, wasn't he? Talking about David, David literally fleeing for his life with King Saul, wanting to kill him. Look at Joseph, Job, Ruth, Mary, Peter, Paul, Stephen, Stephen, the disciple who was so powerfully sharing the gospel to the early church. It resulted in him being stoned to death. That's a little bit more than stubbing your foot on a stone. The Bible, therefore, is clear why we experience trouble and who the source is. If we look at Ephesians 6, verse 12, it says, For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So when the psalm talks about the plague that stalks in darkness, terrors of the night, serpents, poisonous snakes, it's like a poetic, metaphorical language describing attack from an enemy, the devil who wants to steal, kill, and destroy And his target is everyone, especially those of us who say we trust in the Lord, especially those of us who proclaim that the almighty God, Jesus, is our savior. So there will be trouble. This will be our experience until Jesus returns or until we go to heaven ourselves. But the psalm tells us, despite that, we can know rest and we can know supernatural, incredible peace As I read yesterday morning, randomly on Facebook, but I don't believe it's random given what I was doing at the time. I was actually preparing for this. Just thought, well, I'll have a quick look at Facebook. Somebody put this on their page. Rest is a weapon given to us by God. The enemy hates it because he wants you stressed and occupied. So let's get practical. 
How do we do it? How do you do it, Sally? Well, something that Paul, the disciple, describes and wrote really blessed me and my husband when we were in the thick of dealing with cancer. So Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, probably a place that he never actually visited. And when he wrote this letter, he was actually in prison in Rome. Paul, a disciple who experienced a lot of trouble. And he says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, We also pray that you'll be strengthened with his glorious power so that you will have all the patience and endurance you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father who's enabled you to share the inheritance that belongs to God's holy people who live in the light. For he's rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness. He has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. God has purchased our freedom with his blood and has forgiven all our sins. If you read it in the message, it says, we pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength that God gives. It's a gift. It's a strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has done for us. The strength, which is a gift, that endures the unendurable. Perhaps that's what the psalmist was describing when he talks about the angels lifting us up, lifting us up in their hands so we don't even strike a stone. It's an incredible gift of strength and joy despite the most unendurable circumstances. I've experienced that quite a few times. One time I experienced it was when Paul, my husband Paul, went to uh, have an operation. They wanted to remove the primary tumor. And they said, oh, it'll take a couple of hours, keyhole surgery, it'll be fine. And the surgeon is amazing. And um, he went in, and he was at King's Hospital, which was right on the other side of London. And I was going to go there with his mum once he was out of the operation. But actually, he was in surgery for 10 hours. And when you're in surgery, when you ring the hospital, they don't tell you anything. He's in theatre, Mrs. Bundock. He's still in theatre. Why is he still? Should take two hours. We're like seven hours in. We can't tell you anything. Now, you can imagine what your mind, where your mind goes at that time. And Paul's parents were really stressed out. Paul's dad was at ours to be with the boys, collect them from school and nursery. And my mother-in-law and I were going to be with Paul. Anyway, I, went, I said to my mother-in-law, right, let's go to the hospital. That's where I want to be. We're going to drive there. It takes over an hour. Um, I said, but before we go, I'm just going to pop upstairs. And I went upstairs and I asked... I was really in turmoil. I had episodes of ER going through my mind where, you know, Paul's on the bed and they're trying to, you know, bring him back to life and all sorts. And I just asked God for his peace. And it was just like that description in Psalm 91. Unexplainable just joy and peace. I was just lifted up like that description of the angels. It was like a wave hit me. It was, it was a physical change of my being. I was in the place of rest. It had arrived. I went downstairs, grabbed my mother-in-law and said, right, let's go. And 
it was fine. And it took a long time because they opened him up and found a lot more than they were expecting and they had a lot to figure out and work out. But that's just an example of what God is talking about or what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 91. So when Paul in Colossians talks about Jesus, this is the bit that the psalmist couldn't write about at the time. But I believe Psalm 91 is looking ahead to the amazing inheritance we have with Jesus, the cross. Because of what happened there, no matter what trouble comes along, we can know rest. We can know the supernatural joy, the peace that passes all understanding. Because as it says in Colossians, as I've just read out, Jesus has done it. It is finished. As Paul puts it, he's rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness. Death has lost its sting. And when it says at the end of Psalm 91, I will satisfy them with a long life and give them my salvation, that is our wonderful inheritance. Because like Jesus, like the mother bird that endures the danger, the pain, and possibly even death to protect her young, Jesus took the hit for us on the cross. Everything, all the shame, all the sin, everything, like the mother bird sacrifices him herself, he was the ultimate sacrifice on the cross for us all. God has purchased our freedom with his blood, the biggest price. This is the God that the psalmist says, we can trust him. This is the father who says, you can trust me. You can completely surrender to me. You can come under my shelter, under my wings, and truly know my rest. If you choose me, if you choose to be with me, in my presence, dwell there, make it your home, that's where you'll find me and my rest He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God. I'm trusting in him. That's what the psalmist says. It was in that place of trust. It was under the shadow of his wings on that Sunday morning at church when I heard the still small voice that said, Sally, you're not doing this alone. You are co-parenting those gorgeous boys with me. Rest. Peace, truth, a word that brings life, freedom, energy, a word that makes you run your race, that makes you realize, I can do this. There are so many, many examples that I have, and I know you have, of his wonderful love and care, because I've chosen to be under the shelter of his wings, to be shielded by him and trust him. So when people say, Sally, how do you do it? That is my answer. It's the Psalm 91 lifestyle. When I'm not there, and that happens, when I'm too busy, I'm too preoccupied, when I'm not in communion with my Savior, it goes horribly wrong and pretty quickly as well, I have to say. I lose the joy, the supernatural joy. Sometimes... The joy is unexplainable, but it's there. It's amazing. And I access it. I access that joy and that excitement. 
I spend a lot of time worshipping. For me, that is really key. At home, when I'm doing stuff around the house, I've got the CDs on, in the car, on the train, coming back. If I'm not listening to worship, I'm quite often listening to word preaching or whatever. But that, for me, is a way that I can, I can really just be singing the truth, living the truth, being communion, be worshipping, just getting close to him. I'm belting it out. The neighbors are very familiar <laughs> with various things like Bethel music. But when I'm not in that place, I know about it pretty quickly because my peace is gone and I start to worry about stuff. I start to think terrible things might happen. Fear creeps in. And, you know, the world can start to seem like quite a grim place and things can be quite hard and tough. I actually start to drown sometimes. As I said earlier, it's, the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. So I choose not to be alone. I choose the Psalm 91 lifestyle. Romans 8 verse 28, again, it's one we all know so well. We know that in all things, everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Sometimes it sounds like a complete cliche, but actually it's the truth. And if you're right in the middle of trouble, you can be in a place of rest and peace despite what's going on and know that actually God is working that trouble for your good, whatever it might be. I do say sometimes, Lord, this isn't good right now. This is hard. This is rubbish. This is not okay. But I know good is coming because of Romans 8:28. I'm not staying here. This is not my end destination. Good is on the way. And this trouble, whatever it is, is not going to derail me. It's not going to stress me out. It's not going to take my joy because I am under the shelter of his wings in the meantime. And that's true for my family as well. So sometimes we may not see it if we're in the middle of trouble and we may not feel it but we know what the word says, what the truth is. We know our God that we're trusting in alone. He's working it all together for good. So I'm just going to say, I hope you have a really, really good day today. A day of rest. It is yours for the taking because of Jesus. So you choose the Psalm 91 lifestyle. It is your inheritance and you can start living in that right now, no matter what trouble you're in. Amen. <laughs>